This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. Happy New Year 2022, although it feels like Happy New Year 2021 revisited. You just heard some of the measures announced by the Ford government in the news with Steve Key. Let's recap the just announced measures, which will take effect on Wednesday when the province's chief medical officer is going to reinstate a directive ordering hospitals to pause all non-emergent, non-urgent surgeries to preserve critical care capacity. Indoor dining rooms, gyms, other indoor gathering spaces must close Wednesday. Personal care services, retail stores will be limited to half capacity. Indoor social gatherings will be capped at five. The government says the school closure will last until at least January the 17th and free child care will be provided for frontline workers with school-aged children. It's also offering rebate payments for certain businesses that are ordered to close or to reduce their capacity. So what do you think? It's the question of this hour and, of course, many more hours to come. The numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. And before we go to the Zoomer squad and get their thoughts, uh, just a programming note. We've got the NDP education critic Marit Stiles coming up in the second half hour along with the leader of the Ontario Liberals, Stephen Del Duca. So until you give us a call, let's hear from the Zoomer squad. Peter Muggeridge, senior editor of Zoomer magazine. David Kravitz, vice president, Zoomer Media, chief membership officer at CARP. And Bill Van Gorder, chief operating and policy officer at CARP. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, happy New Year to you. Bill, you're first up. You drew the short straw. What do you think? Oh, it's it's uh, it's sad. It's uh, it's disappointing. Uh, it's taken the joy out of uh, uh, what, for many people, was uh, uh, a good uh, holiday holiday season. What a way again to start uh, the new year. When I was just looking at my notes here and saw that first thing on one of our agendas was to talk about post-COVID uh, programs for CARP, and now we're right back into it. I had to scratch that one out and, and look at what's, uh, what's next. And it's, uh, uh, it's not only disappointing uh, for everyone, but it's uh, a scary, particularly for older Ontarians who uh, have been locked in, locked down, and uh, finally thought they were coming out. And now uh, they're back into the same situation again. Before we get to uh, Peter and David, you mentioned, Bill, a couple times describing uh, the announcement disappointing. What's disappointing? The fact that we we find ourselves here? Yeah, the, fi- the fact that we're back to it. Uh, uh, we're back to this uh, game that uh, we're back to uh, uh, to the to the phase the phase two with so many things uh, shut down. One of the things that really impacts older Ontario is, is that they announced that they're, as of Wednesday they're going to pause all the non-emergency and non-urgent surgeries and procedures. Well, you know, just because they're not urgent doesn't mean they're very important to the quality of life of many of our numbers. And once again, our, our waiting times are going to be up again, uh, a huge uh, impact on older people in Ontario. David Kravitz, your thoughts? Well, I think I agree. I agree with Bill as to the effect of this, but I don't see that they had any choice. Uh, I watched Ford's press conference, and he pointed out that um, what they're seeing in the hospitals is very short stays, but nevertheless tying up the facilities. The actual ICU numbers um, are not that uh, crazy. Um, 
December 1st, before all this started, we had 153 adults in ICUs and 780 new cases. December 31st, we had 16,000 new cases just on that day, and only 203 in the ICU. So the severity of it may be less, the impact on the ICU may be less, but for the first time we see an impact on the total hospital system because somebody's got to see these people, they go in, they get checked, they may be hospitalized for a day or two, and that's what the system cannot absorb if the spread numbers are correct. Uh, I don't think they had any choice uh, uh, about doing this, and the only uh, the only encouragement I can get out of it is that they're, uh, you know, they're limiting it to a couple three weeks, and they hope by then we'll see the South African uh, pattern, um, uh, you know, a rapid uh, collapse. The biggest worry I have is they've totally given up on testing, so we don't know if any of these case numbers are even true anymore, and that's that's a big worry for me. And you mentioned some of the numbers there. Before we go to Peter here, we haven't forgotten you, Peter. Ontario reporting 13,578 new cases after 16,714 yesterday and Saturday's record breaker, 18,445. But, uh, David, you mentioned hospitalizations up to 1,232 now and 248 in ICUs. Uh, Peter, your thoughts? Well, it, it's sort of a, a depressing Groundhog Day scenario again. Yeah. But um, on, the, on the bright side, you know, um, they, they did uh, mention that the virus is much less um, severe, you know, fatal than the previous uh, strains. So that that's that's something to take heart to. You know, like it seems like in, in my own uh, family there was an outbreak at one of the, one of the houses, and um, you know, it, it was it was like a mild flu. They got through it. You know, none of them went for testing. None of them went to a hospital. They have people of all ages living there. So, um, you know, that's a very small, um, you know, uh, sample size, obviously. But, um, but you know, like like there is hope that this is just a flu, and th- and that the one percent of cases that have to go to hospital will be not um, severe. So that that's the hope of, of all this, and I and I find that to be one cause of um, you know. Uh, one way to look at it, try to try to take a you know silver lining out of this dark cloud. But um, you know, um, three weeks, as David said, it, in three weeks we'll know a lot better whether these measures uh, work. And hopefully, in three weeks, we'll be um, on our way to normal after a challenging winter, like Theresa Tam warned. And uh, before we go to uh, one of our listeners here. Uh, I just wanted to point this out, as Peter, you mentioned about 1% uh, being hospitalized, possibly. Now, what the government points out is that the rapid rise in cases that we could, stressing that underlying air quotes, everything else, could be looking at hundreds of thousands of cases, possibly soon pointing out how when, and this is the government pointing out that when one in a hundred goes to hospital, it means the rapid increase in transmission, the number of new cases requiring hospitalizations will also go up a lot daily. For example, 50,000 cases a day would mean 500 hospital admissions per day, greater than the peak daily hospitalizations of 265 from last spring something to allow it to marinate a little bit maybe before Mm -hmm. commenting. Ron in Toronto, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bob, and thanks for taking my call. It's it's upsetting, and I I listened to the entire news conference there, and I listened to the premier, but it's uh, it's upsetting how one of the journalists, I believe, here in Toronto, uh, I'd asked the the premier specifically, what was the Ministry of Education um, going to be doing within the two-week period that we're asking kids to be back on e-learning? And he just couldn't answer them. He just couldn't give Ontarians uh, an answer on that. Last week, 
uh, he was prepared to send them back uh, to uh, to the classroom uh, Wednesday. Now he's uh, delayed it a further two weeks, and we all know very well uh, that there's going to be a further delay. But what's upsetting with the Premier, they had time. Uh, they, they knew, they ought to have known that um, schools were going to be going back today, in fact, and nothing was prepared. And now he's saying that things are going to be done. But when asked what specifically the ministry is doing, he doesn't have an answer. He talks about a toolbox and all the tools being used. But what, is it a play school toolbox? What, what toolbox is the premier using? And it's annoying, uh, Bob. It, it really is. Uh Bob, Wait. can I speak to that? Sure, sure, go ahead. My I had daughter, a question. My daughter is a teacher in the system in the TDSB, and the big issue is uh, the, and Ford alluded to it briefly, the big issue is the fear that there's just not going to be enough teachers. It's not really, a, it's, it's driven by COVID, but it's not really driven by what we saw in, in round one and two about the infections among the kids themselves. It's you're going to bring these kids into the schools and there's not going to be any staff there because the teachers, uh, remember that you have to isolate. They reduced it uh, the number of days, but you have to isolate if there's any infection at all. Um, uh, my grandson, the, the uh, my daughter's uh, little boy, uh, had to isolate at home because someone in his class tested positive. So he's home, she's home, she can't teach in the classroom. So there was a, it's really a staffing issue and a lack of resources issue. It's not so much a fear of, you know, what's going to happen if these kids are in the, in the actual classroom. And I think they are going to simply resume the virtual lesson plans and teaching plans. And in her case, she's got, you know, lesson plans and stuff ready to roll. So I don't think that it's going to be that they have nothing to do. But I think it was very much driven by the fact that they took a look around and said, wait a minute, uh, we're going to send these kids back in there. How do we know that uh, uh, we're going to have enough teachers? And he, he voiced the same concern about health care workers. But my, uh, my concern with all due respects, and my son's also an elementary school teacher as well, um, but how did we get, if it's a matter of shortage in staff, how did we get to this point? We're, we're in the third year. This is not something new to the ministry. He calls Stephen Lecce one of the top education ministers in the country. That's what he said during his news conference. But why aren't all our teachers mandated to be vaccinated? There's teachers in the board, as you know yourself, that are not even on their first or second vaccination. My son happens to have both vaccinations. Who caused that? Why weren't they mandated to yeah, take these vaccinations? Okay, Ron. Thank you fair very question. much. Appreciate that. Uh, guys, you want to weigh in as well? Bill? Uh, not, no, not uh, not really from uh, from CARP's uh, uh, point of view. All, uh, all good questions and and something that uh, a lot of people don't realize how much this affects the older members of uh, families with children uh, uh, at school or not at school. Uh, uh, grandparents who used to offer the uh, after school and preschool uh, care who now are not going to be able to move from, from home to home to be able to do that or have children come into their uh, uh, their houses and, and and help with the with the online uh, education. Uh, it uh, uh, the kids that are not being in school is going to be a huge problem for all of us. Uh, whether or not our own our own children happen to be in that situation. And Peter, um, you know, I, I'm sure we can fault the, uh, the premier and education minister on certain things, but. Certainly the extent of the Omicron spread is not their fault. And there's, there's really, they, they could only do what they uh, had in front of them, and that was to close down the schools. It's not like you can plan for, you know, this months and months ahead of time because it came at the end of the, end of the year, and over the break they were mulling what to do, and then they closed down the school. So I'm not absolving them of blame, but they had very little uh, alternative. And... Um, they pulled the plug, and, and we'll just have to live with that decision. Okay, let's go to Zita in Mississauga. Happy New Year. 
Um, all the very best for, to everyone, and thanks for taking my call, Bob. Um, watching weeks ago, the Omicron exploded around the world, Quebec. Experts all along is worrying about the hospitals and school system crashes so because of tsunami of patients. So why Mr. Ford did not implement public measure before the holiday when we know that infection numbers will climb and and we know that even the vaccinated are not going to be spared from this. So why encourage people to line up and expose to the, the most contagious virus for the rapid test so the party and the gathering and sports arena to carry on? These tests are more crucial for the frontline workers. We are lucky, and it's a good thing that it's a flu-like, but it's still a very serious problem. Well, I think uh, Zeta, Daryl in Toronto, who I'm going to allow to join in, I think he can answer the question why he feels it's taken forward so long. Why do you feel that, Daryl? And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, frankly, I feel, <clears throat> firstly, the whole thing started off with a little doublespeak about uh, how we are going back to the reopening plan kind of thing. Modified, right, yep. Yeah, you could just say that, well, we're closing down again. Um, The point is, he knew all of these things from the numbers and the projections weeks ago. If he didn't, he should just resign. Uh, But he knew them all. But the the information coming out, the delaying of the schools by two days so that he could come on today to announce it would be delayed further, was all basically part of, uh, it seems to me anyway, to be part of the re-election plan. He didn't want to give out the information over the holidays because it would have really messed people up. Okay, if I can get you to just stay on your phone there because you're, you're drifting in and out. So if you could stay okay. on your receiver there. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm right here. Um, so, yeah, so it's basically, it's like the, you know, Conservative Party of Ontario is now running the information coming out of, the, of COVID and when things get shut down and stuff like that because his main concern is just his re-election. He knew this weeks ago. This should have been done weeks ago when you see those numbers. You know, when you see that the, the curve is going up in this direction, you don't wait two weeks till it gets to this point to say, now we have to shut down. You know it's getting to that point weeks before, and if you're looking to mitigate the situation, it should have been done before. Okay, Daryl, thank you. And uh, guys, uh, let's get you to weigh in. Let's start with you, Peter. Uh, re-election. Is that well, what's driving this? You know, it's it's driving everything. This whole thing is always so politicized. And, um, you know, it, it would, I don't know how we're ever going to get to the point where we can look at this without looking at it through the lens of politics and just try to figure it all out. But certainly Ford was playing a political game, delaying the announcement, um, trying to sort of, you know, uh, delay the bad news over the holidays so people could, you know, get back, see family, recharge the batteries, and then prepare themselves for the bad news. So I, I, I think that the caller is right there. That he uh, he did a little bit of planning there, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm hoping this year will be the year we can begin looking at this virus through a non-political lens. We can just, you know, look through strictly, um, let's take the best steps to defeat it and not um, consider everything through politics. David. Well, I, I'm, I want to be a little more, I've been critical of the government many times on this. I want to be a little more tolerant on this one, because I think that they didn't fully know what the burden on the hospitals was going to be, um, how many people get it and need to go into the hospital, never mind the ICU. The ICU numbers have been very stable, um, but the hospitalization numbers, and many people, as we know, and we heard this anecdotally already earlier in this uh, show, uh, you feel like you have a bad cold, you may not go into the hospital, you may not even know you have it. So you have this this paradox here of a variant of COVID that's far more easy to spread, far more orders of magnitude more contagious than anything we've seen before. Maybe you can't even stop it no matter what you do. Yet it's milder. Well, how much milder? What does it mean um, that you have to go to the hospital versus you don't have to go to the hospital? And I don't really know that uh, uh, two weeks earlier, uh, if they had brought this in, I think we would have had all kinds of calls saying it's not that serious. Why is he destroying our holidays? So I think he's in a little bit of a lose-lose here. And I think that these um, regulations for a period of three weeks moving forward 
um, schools are bad. School they only extended it till the 17th of January, not the 26th, with everything else. Uh, I think they're being prudent. They're being cautious, and I don't. I don't really see any uh, political cynicism in this. I think it's a prudent um, thing to do, uh, given given the numbers. Well, what color are the glasses uh, you're looking through, Bill? Well, uh, going back to what Peter was talking about, and and I agree. How how do we remove uh, uh, the politicizing from this? The first thought that comes to my mind is there are so many issues that our CARP members want to deal with in the upcoming uh, provincial election. And how do we get focus on uh, those important ones? Uh, it's almost, uh, and, and I guess this is cynical, it's almost as if the, uh, the premier is, uh, uh, is happy to be able to focus on COVID because it takes the pressure off all those other huge issues that uh, his government uh, is is facing. And, and yes, we hope that uh, the COVID noise will quiet down soon so that we can talk about the very, very important uh, other, uh, other issues that are going to uh, concern uh, uh, Ontarians far beyond uh, uh, COVID. Uh, uh, we hope, and when are we going to be able to talk about uh, those and and be able to focus on them? And let's uh, let's go there. If we uh, the news of the hour of the day has basically pushed recent news off to the side, and of course, Rod Phillips recently uh, making the announcement concerning long term care with the restrictions there and uh, making the fourth dose available to those uh, eligible. What do you guys make of that? Let's uh, begin with uh, David. Well, again, I think it's something that they were forced to do by by cold uh, by Omicron. Uh, I, I think that if you take a look around the world, that this the the phenomenon of Omicron, what it's done uh, in the United States to their plans to to defeat COVID. Israel is talking about a fourth vaccine, and now they're, they're they even had a headline out of Israel today that maybe they think maybe half of fifty percent of Israelis are going to get it or already have it. Um, everybody's flailing around on this, and I think it is so. A novel. It's so unique in that a the the rate of spread is so seemingly uncontrollable, and the implications are so huge. And yet, thank goodness, it doesn't appear to be as virulent as the earlier strains. I think you temporarily have to suspend uh, judgment of the political, you know, parsing of it. I don't disagree with anything Bill said about the other issues. This is pushing away. But I think that when you're in the thick of it, you just have to get through it. And if it really is three weeks and then we're back to normal on or four weeks, then then I think we'll look back on it as uh, something that they had to do. Peter, Rod Phillips, I pointed out the restrictions and uh, pauses that he recently announced. And, of course, with the fourth dose eligibility for residents uh, as well. Uh, your thoughts on that in terms of the government making those moves? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a, a good precaution. Um, you know, it, it's not as uh, draconian as it was the first time around when everyone was banned and all, and those homes were locked down. So two, two essential caregivers um, can, can visit, cell families are precluded, but two members of families can visit. And, um, you know, the fourth, the, the, the next round of booster, which I, I, I don't know, um, I mean, that seems obvious, like that, that doesn't seem like a huge leap in logic. But, but you know, it, it's a shame to see these, these uh, measures go into effect, but I think they, they're slightly modified to make them less burdensome than the first time around. And Bill? As far well, as the, the moves, the, yeah. Well, uh, of course, uh, a, a a good move and something that's necessary at, at this point because we still haven't solved the underlying problems of uh, our folks who live in in long term care. So these kinds of measures have to be uh, have to be taken. And when are we going to be able to start talking about changing those? underlying uh, underlying causes so that uh, there are so that we have long-term care with 
with uh, less people crowded into smaller areas, uh, smaller groupings of rooms within uh, facilities and enough staff. That's going to be the biggest issue over this is that we already have a terrible uh, uh, lack of staff in our long-term care facilities. And if the long-term care follows the same uh, uh, link as other areas of the economy, uh, we're going to have even less uh, people available in those uh, in those jobs too. So, uh, and, and I'm a little bit I'm a little bit concerned that we seem to want to say, well, this is uh, this is mild; it, it doesn't affect as many uh, many people. Uh, what we're talking about is exponentially more people getting COVID, uh, uh, the Omicron, and even though the percentages of people who are admitted to hospital uh, and get really sick with it are lower, they're still going to be high because of the great numbers who get it in the first place. And who are the people most at risk? It's uh, the uh, it's our older uh, Ontarians uh, who are uh, who are at risk, have comorbidities, have have other illnesses, and we continue to be very concerned about that, how they'll survive even over what uh, David is hoping is going to be the next three weeks. And uh, let's go quickly and a Happy New Year to Daniel in Toronto. You want to make a comment and uh, take part here. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I believe our health system, not only in the province, but in the entire country, uh, is a failure. And I'll explain why. A nurse from the 1950s or the 1960s, first and foremost, was trained to act as a nurse in an ICU situation, whether it's wartime, catastrophic disaster, whatever the case is. The vast majority of nurses in our healthcare system are not trained to function in an ICU department. The province had two years to correct that, and yet today we still find ourselves with a lack of that resource and complete unrecognition for that level of expertise. Okay. Daniel, thank you very much for that. And, uh, guys, real real quick before we uh, say goodbye for another week, real quickly, Bill, your thoughts on Daniel's thoughts there. Well, I I, uh, I certainly know I've sounded uh, pessimistic today, but I think the message we really want to leave the listeners is uh, uh, let's hope this is uh, short-term pain for long-term uh, gain, and these moves do uh, settle the situation down, and a month from now we'll be able to look forward and not be worried about what's happening today. David. Yeah, I, I echo what Bill said. I want to stress, I'm not necessarily saying I'm optimistic. I'm saying that the magnitude of this spread, the the contagious factor, contagion factor is so vast that I, I just don't see that they had any choice about what they're going to do. I hope it's only going to be the temporary measure they announced, but uh, I'm not qualified to you know, predict that future, but we can only hope for the best. And Peter? Well, I'm not qualified either, but my New Year's resolution was to be more optimistic about things and less pessimistic so i'm going to follow bill and say uh there's reason for optimism and the measures will work and in three weeks we'll be on the path to recovery yep peter mugridge senior editor zoomer magazine there previously david kravitz vice president zoomer media chief membership officer at carp and bill van gorder chief operating and chief policy officer at carp again guys happy new year and thank you for your time and your thoughts thanks thanks, happy new year. thanks, thanks, thanks Bob. everyone bye-bye coming up on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Bob Kompsik setting in for Libby Zneimer. We will speak with the education critic for the NDP in this province, Marit Stiles. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Kompsik. Welcome back and Happy New Year. Just uh, going over some of the measures that were announced earlier by the Ford government before we move on with our next guest who has some interest on one aspect of the announcement. 
The province's chief medical officer is going to be reinstating the directive ordering hospitals to pause all non-emergent, non-urgent surgeries to preserve critical care capacity. That takes effect on Wednesday, as do the following. Indoor dining rooms, gyms, all other indoor gathering spaces must close. Personal care services, retail stores will be limited to 50% capacity, and indoor social gatherings will be capped at 5. The government says the school closure will last until at least the 17th, with free child care provided for frontline workers with school-aged children. Joining us now is the education critic for the NDP in this province, Marit Stiles. Happy New Year, although it's uh, a little difficult greeting to be passing along on a day like today, but are you at all surprised? Uh, Well, you know, I wish I could say I was. Um, A few days ago, um, the Premier said that schools were going to open on Wednesday. He kind of pushed it back by a few more days. But I got to say, I felt that pretty strongly that this was where we were probably headed. And I think a lot of people did. Um. And, you know, I, I guess what I, I mean, I'm a parent of a, I have one teenager still in school. And, um, you know, there's no question there's a lot of disappointment in my household. Uh, schools are going to be going back to online until at least January 17th. And so it's not as, it's, you know, schools, to be clear, will still be open, but they just won't be able to go in person. And, and what that means is, I think, for a lot of our kids and families and all the education workers out there, I mean, that's just devastating news because, for them, it means more online learning, which I think we all recognize has not been easy. And, um, you know, considering that in Ontario, we saw schools closed for 26 weeks in total so far, which is the most of any other, any jurisdiction in Canada and, and pretty much in the Western Hemisphere. It's one of the worst records. So our kids have already paid a massive price. And so it's, I, I think we're all really disappointed. Um, we can debate whether it was the right thing to do, but I, I do think that, you know, it's, it's sad that we had to get to this place. And I think there is a lot the government could and should have done uh, so that we wouldn't be in this situation again. And what do you think some of those things should have been so that we wouldn't be talking about this today? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I was counting it today, and it's been 662 days since uh, Ford's first closed schools back in March 2020. And in those 662 days, we still don't know how many classrooms have the proper ventilation. We still are worried about our kids in cafeterias at schools. And again, having proper ventilation, our teachers still don't have the proper masks. The government has still not provided those. So there's, and and, and I'll also add, our classrooms are still really, the class sizes are still really big. You have a lot of kids going back into classrooms of like 32, 28, 35 kids. So I think there's a lot that the government has to answer for. Now they're saying, well, they're going to use this time to suddenly miraculously address some of those things. Well, where have you been for 662 days? And I think that is, uh, those are the kinds of precautions that they could have put in place. Um, a long time ago. And I would say we, the NDP, but also like so many of the folks on the front line and the education experts have been saying this for now almost two years. Now, granted, except for the school closures, which are in effect until at least the 17th, everything else that was announced, and it's a real long laundry mm-hmm. list, but a lot of familiar things that we've, uh, I hate to say it, grown accustomed to over the past couple of years, they're in effect until uh, the the 26th, so a little bit longer. Absolutely. What I mean, is, elective surgeries, for right, example. Being I mean, paused. This is this is going to be really awful news for so many people, and I I really my heart goes out to them. And I I know like I, as a, as the education critic, I I talk a lot about the schools, but you know families are going to be dealing with a lot of other effects, including businesses, small businesses, which I I'm already getting emails, and my my email inbox is going to be pretty full by the end of the day with small businesses saying, oh my gosh, like we're going to have to shut down, like we can't maintain this. So, yeah, devastated. Now, I know you were preparing for this, and and this is kind of your 
line of expertise uh, Mm -hmm. talking about education. But in terms of some of those emails that you've received, have you had a chance to look at some of them? And is that the essence of what these business people are telling you, that uh, they're throwing their hands up, waving the flag, saying, I I, I just can't, uh, can't do it anymore? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm getting. And, um, you know, obviously they're, they're asking me what are the supports that are going to be available. And we don't know that yet, right? We're going to be, of course, uh, pushing the government to see what that involves. Uh, I know that over the last two years, a lot of the small businesses in my community and across the province, um, we really had to fight hard. Uh, to get them any kind of support, um, and and they barely survived. And what I was hearing even before the holidays, what I was hearing from small businesses in my community uh, was that they 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 needed those supports to continue through the fall. They didn't. And now they were really feeling like any other hit, and they're going down. And I, I really, I mean, we all know, we look at our communities and we, in our neighborhood, and we see the closed businesses, and I think a lot of those businesses may, may this may be the final blow, um, which is awful. And the government, you know, again, I, I guess I, we're all wondering, you know, why? I mean, we know that Omicron was coming. We've had the warnings. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're seeing some of the bigger box stores and stuff continuing on. Not so differently. It's the small guys that are going to really pay the price again. What about uh, the government recently announced it was expanding the business costs rebate program for eligible businesses, mm-hmm. depending on if they have to close or if capacity is reduced and just how much they would be receiving, depending on how much of a hit they take. Is that really sufficient or no? No, I think we need, uh, and we've been, our, uh, our leader, Andrea Horvath, at our caucus have been calling on the government for direct small business grants. For all impacted small Ontario businesses, it's essential. Um, I think there's also a lot of other things we could bring in, like a, a commercial, a commercial eviction ban. I mean, that's a big issue in a lot of, of our for a lot of our Toronto businesses is is this the co- the rent that they have to pay, and we've seen um, those rents actually go up during the pandemic, um, sometimes to just really absurd rates. And there's a lot the government could be doing to make sure that they're protected. And also other things like insurance rates. I mean, all of these things are being raising, the costs are being raising, as we all know, um, for everything. And it's those little businesses that have been, I think, the hardest hit. And there's a lot of direct uh, support that the government could be providing. And I really hope that they'll come through this time. Now, they have said that they are exploring uh, options for providing further targeted, uh, they say, necessary supports for businesses and workers. So, I mean, as it moves into this modified step two of the roadmap to reopen, as we thought we were done saying that phrase, but uh, at least for the next little while, no, we are not. So, at least... On paper, in terms of the news release from the government and what the various ministers are are saying in Ford himself, it seems like they're open to doing more. Whether or not any more will be done, who knows? But as you said, your your party will be uh, pushing for this, especially over the next five months. Absolutely. I I mean, we... I think we can look back on the last two years. And I, it was interesting because um, Premier Ford said at the end of his press conference, he said, you know, we'll, you know, we, we will come out better from all of this. But uh, again, 662 days. <laughs> and I'm not sure we are in a better place. I, I mean, I heard your previous uh, callers talking and um, I, I think, you know, we, we hopefully will come out in a better place in some areas. Maybe this will force government to actually and, and the next government uh, and the government after that to actually take, um, you know, nursing home inspections seriously. Maybe we'll actually start to appreciate and pay properly some of our long-term care workers. Maybe we'll let, you know, we'll, we'll actually deal with the nursing shortage. Uh, maybe we'll start to understand why online learning isn't great, actually, for most of our kids. There's so many things we could learn, but I think what's really frustrating right now is that we don't seem to have come out anywhere near better. We're we're actually in a much worse place um, in our hospitals. Uh, people are exhausted. They're leaving. Uh, the same thing is happening in our schools uh, with our workers. So we really have a long road back. And I don't think the government, and we know the government hasn't actually even spent the money that they were given. And in education specifically, they actually announced this year they were cutting funding from education for this school year. So 
to me, that's not learning. That's not learning the lessons. That's not investing in public health. That's not doing the kind, making the kind of change that's going to prevent further closures now, but also prevent outbreaks down the road in another devastating year of this. You know, rarely in politics uh, do the various parties agree, but I think all would agree with what you said there in terms of how it is going to be a long road to recovery. I guess where the parties might disagree and different opinion is how to get there. So maybe for for the time being, we'll uh, leave it in that. And our next guest, I'm sure, will be weighing in as we'll be hearing from the Ontario Liberal leader. But for now, Marit Stiles, the NDP's education critic, but being a politician, uh, you know, she represents not just uh, Uh, the parents out there uh, and the children, but also uh, all her constituents, and they come from a a wide range of uh, backgrounds. So thanks for being able to wade in on some other aspects of of COVID here with us. My pleasure, and um, please, everybody stay well, and don't forget to try to get that booster shot. That's what's going to, that's what's really going to get us out of this. Thank you. Marit, thank you. Bob Comsick filling in for Libby Zneimer. You are listening to Fight Back here on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, also 96.7 FM downtown. Coming up after the break, we'll hear from Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. Welcome back and a happy new year to our next guest, Liberal Leader Stephen Del Duca, who joins us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Now, you've said more than once recently, Doug Ford's been hiding. Well, he's reemerged. What do you think of his remarks and of the measures announced? Well, I think it's incredibly discouraging for the people of Ontario to know that nearly two years now into this pandemic that we find ourselves in a position because Doug Ford uh, has been missing in action, because he didn't take the steps not just days ago, but I mean months ago, to position Ontario, whether it's schools or it's our economy or it's just generally speaking, the the state of the fight against COVID, the investments and the effort were just not made when they needed to be made to help us avoid where we are right now, back in another round of crisis. Um, Because, again, I think Doug Ford just isn't the right person for the job. He doesn't understand what his responsibility is, and he's shown that consistently. But don't you agree there, Stephen, that for a while there it looked like we were doing better and that that light at the end of the tunnel looked like one where we were emerging, not something approaching us. Now it feels like uh, lately, and especially people might think after today, it almost feels like we're we're playing uh, snakes and ladders and we've quickly slid back to the start of the game. You know, Bob, I, my take on it is that, that that everybody in a position of leadership, so in this case, including Doug Ford, should be learning lessons as they go during, you know, throughout Throughout this pandemic, we know there's been lots of lots of things that, that have occurred that haven't been easy for governments at all levels to deal with. But the one thing that consistently has occurred here in Ontario is that Doug Ford has underestimated COVID-19. And so, yes, of course, back in the early part of the fall, I think we were all hoping that we were going to be in a much stronger position today. But we also did hear back in September and October from the Chief Medical Officer of Health that with the weather here in Ontario getting colder and more people going indoors, that before Omicron was discovered, that we were going to see the case numbers start to creep up and go in the wrong direction. And that's why back in the middle of November, two weeks before Omicron was discovered in South Africa, I put out a plan on behalf of Ontario Liberals urging Doug Ford to make a certain number of decisions and investments around rapid tests, boosters, indoor settings, Again, this is back in the middle of November, and Doug Ford ignored me. He ignored the doctors. Uh, And then suddenly we hear from the science table December 16th. Then Doug Ford goes into hiding for two weeks. Then we're scrambling again. It just seems to me that as a leader, you've got to hope for the best but plan for the worst. And that's just something Doug Ford doesn't seem to get. So I take it you don't buy his remarks when he says that he listens 
to science and the experts. Do you feel then that he's listening more to the strategists and only when the strategists say, listen to the scientists, that's when he listens? Well, Ontario Science Table uh, called for what they what they term a circuit breaker uh, back on, I believe it was December the 16th, maybe December the 17th. Here we are nearly three weeks later. There was an announcement made by Dr. Moore a few days ago. Doug Ford didn't bother to show up that day, didn't bother to face the music or speak to us as a people. Um, here we are a couple of days later. And by the way, we were told just a few days ago that my daughter's schools and schools across this province would be opening this Wednesday. Three, four days go by, and suddenly we've discovered they can't open up for two more weeks beyond Wednesday. I mean, it's a it's a consistent, uh, cascading comedy of errors from Doug Ford. And I, I just I I don't know if there are many people left in the province who have any confidence and faith in his leadership. But I think if there are, that 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 confidence and faith has really, really, really been shaken today, and understandably so. So do you feel then, I'm getting the sense, you feel he's more concerned about what the voters will be doing uh, five months from now versus worried about their health? In other words, worried about the election. Yeah, no, I I understand. I think that's been a real big problem for now many months. If you think back to, again, I think it was October, it might have been November, Doug Ford's government announced that the vaccine certificate would be going away January 17th. And they also announced at the same time that the mask mandate in Ontario would disappear in the middle of March. They did that without any medical or scientific advice or input. Now, obviously, we know they've changed their minds on the vaccine certificate because since the 17th of January is just a couple of weeks away. But, you know, it, it has always felt like they are more in tune with the electoral or political calendar rather than with what the virus is actually doing here in Ontario. And I know this seems a little bit trite to say, but the, the virus doesn't pay attention to politics. The virus does what virus, viruses do. And so I think, uh, you know, not for me to give Doug Ford political advice at all, but I think the people of this province would, would be far more willing to reward leaders who give them tough medicine but are consistent, are decisive, and are competent. And Doug Ford is failing across the board in that regard. This might be a case of you saying, how much time do I have? But I'm going to ask you anyway. So what do you do differently if you're premier, not June 2nd, but in the midst of all this now? I know you touched on some of the things that you had recently yeah. called for and called for before Omicron was even, you know, something that we mentioned and read about and experienced. So what would you do differently? Yeah, so the number one thing, and my kids are, as I said, they're in publicly funded schools, uh, one daughter in grade nine, the other in grade five. What I'm most concerned about right now is that Doug Ford's going to close the schools for two weeks and not use that time to give parents peace of mind, give frontline education workers peace of mind around masking so that we have N95s or equivalents in place for workers, but also for students, uh, making sure that we have uh, the, the so-called HEPA filters uh, in every classroom in this province. And by the way, on that, on that issue, the government keeps talking about thousands of HEPA filters they've purchased. But as a parent, and I live in York Region, I don't have any way of knowing transparently whether my daughter's schools actually have enough HEPA filters deployed. I think there's a, there's a lot more transparency we need there. I, I think they need to take on, and this is what I'd be doing right now, there are a lot of parents that still aren't convinced of getting their younger kids vaccinated, even though they're eligible to do so. I think there should be an awareness campaign to boost that confidence. I think we need boosters in place, and education workers should be prioritized for the boosters. Uh, I think that the vaccine for COVID should become part of the requirement for kids in our schools, again, assuming they're eligible. There's a long list of things that he's got to take these next two, three, four weeks and not waste them and not just hope and pray that the numbers will come down organically or naturally. And that's what I'm really nervous about, Bob, that he won't take the time, make the effort or make the investment required again and I I don't want to say this because I don't want this to be the outcome, but we find ourselves back on a rocky spot in a month or two, or if there happens to be, God forbid, another variant of concern. So, you know, I wouldn't be wasting the time. I wouldn't just be doing the press conference. I'd be making sure every waking hour of every day that it was all hands on deck and we were prepared to deal with this and get through to the other side.
Just the other day on Fight Back, Dr. Peter Uni, scientific director of the COVID Science Advisory Table, told Jane Brown, who's in for Libby, how his feeling was as far as Omicron evolving in Ontario, six to eight weeks where it could be uh, pretty rocky and uh, we could see a lot of cases. So do you think with this January 17th for schools, uh, January 26th for the other measures that were announced today, do you think that uh, we that might be a little hopeful, that we might end up seeing this stretched out beyond that? Well, as I said a couple of minutes ago, I think people in positions of leadership should, at every time, should be hoping for the best and working hard towards the best outcomes, but at the same time preparing for something less than the best outcomes. So if that's what Peter Uni is saying and others are saying, I think it's fine for the Doug Ford government to say, here's the current timeline that we're on, but why we, while we are doing this, while we're pausing schools, for example, in person for a couple of weeks, and we're introducing these other restrictions, here are the, <clears throat> the other things we're doing behind the scenes to make sure that this latest round of restrictions, as tough as it is, is as time-limited, as, as short as possible, and again, just preparing for, preparing for the worst, and listening to the science table and the doctors when they give their advice that has really nothing to do with politics and just is, is advice that, that, you know, is designed to keep all of us safe and healthy, which, which is everyone's goal. I have a feeling a lot of what you just touched on in our conversation you're going to be touching on for the next five months. Uh, you know, I, look, I, I'm just going to say this one more time. I think we were all in a position in October, November, despite what I had put out by way of a release in the middle of November on measures that Doug Ford should have been taking back then. I think we all wanted to be in a much in a much different spot right now. And there's so many issues we do have to talk about as leaders and as an individual, in my case, who is running to be Ontario's next premier. But we, where we are where we are, and we're not going to be able to tackle the other big challenges we face until we've truly gotten through this pandemic. And that does require responsible, competent, and decisive leadership that is just sad to say missing from Doug Ford right now. And, and honestly, Bob, he just doesn't have the capacity to get this job done. And he's making that so, so clear to the people of Ontario. So I'll keep putting forward positive ideas. I'm happy to work with all other parties to make sure Ontario's in the strongest position possible. Um, but it's going to be a, a fascinating four or five months to watch unfold for sure. And uh, the province and the country will see if he will have one in the months ahead, because I'm sure you're aware of this. Five months from today will be the day after that election. Five months. I so. am aware. And, uh, <laughs> that t- <laughs> and that time will go quickly. So, look, in the meantime, I think the key thing for all leaders of all parties at all levels of government is let's do our best. Let's, you know, hold governments to account. Let's try to collaborate let's get through to the other side of this and then rebuild publicly funded education and rebuild universal public health care and build in some resilience to our economy and to the entire system that we have here in this province and just move Ontario forward. Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Ontario Liberals, thanks for your time and Happy New Year again. Thanks so much, Bob. You stay safe and healthy and take care. Thank you. Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. You've been listening to Fight Back here on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.